Hi listeners, Jason here. You may have already heard that the International Standard for Psychological Health and Safety at Work, ISO 45003 2021, has now been released. We are thrilled that we finally have a globally agreed best practice manual for how workplace mental health should be done and that the focus is on risk management and not fruit bowls and yoga. To help fast track your understanding and adoption of the standard, Joelle and myself have been working hard on a free online training course. The ISO 45003 Foundations course features an hour of video content, which will take you through the plan, do, check and act phases of the standard. The training is now live at www.45003.org. Please register and share with your network. On behalf of Joel and myself, we hope that you'll find it really beneficial and this helps you to prevent psychological injuries and improve worker wellbeing in your workplace. And did I mention it was free? Now, on to this episode. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we'll have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joelle Mitchell. How are you today, Joelle? Jason, I'm thinking that um, scheduling a podcast straight after our team lunch where we all eat lots of burgers is um, possibly not the best. Yeah, burgers and beer probably isn't the best prep for a podcast recording. No, I'm I'm not feeling very vivacious. (laughs) Um, maybe we should hit up the caffeine a bit more before this, this possibly I, I do. I've got some Coke in my giant mug here and I'm hoping that will, uh, that will help me through. Yeah. Well, I'm sure today's guest is actually going to liven things up a bit. Well, that's it. We'll, we'll just leave it to her to, to carry the show. Yes. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. All right. Let's, let's introduce her. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to introduce a very, very special guest for today. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist with more than a decade's worth of experience in psychological health and safety spanning academia, external and internal consultancy. She's recently finished up her role as a psychological health and safety manager at a leading Australian university, where she was responsible for setting and executing psych health and safety strategy. She's the latest addition to our team at People Diagnostics and our first Melbourne-based employee. A very warm welcome to the podcast and to People Diagnostics, Alicia Pappas. Thank you, Jason. Um, great introduction there. God, feeling the pressure though. Joelle, you've just left it up to me to... Uh run the show, I think. But um, as you were talking, I was thinking maybe you need a nap, but hopefully you can wait uh, another hour or two until we're finished today. Um, but yeah, um, it's really great to be uh, on the podcast today. And um, I guess to introduce myself to um, the psych health and safety um, population, your followers, um, and also Flourish DX users and potential users. Hey, look, I'm sure our community is going to really love to find out more about you and Alicia and hear your rather unique sense of humour that will work, I think, very well alongside Joelle's very, very (laughs) unique sense of (laughs) humour. We're a funny bunch, aren't we? Yeah, I think um, just just, uh, to study psychology in general, you you have to be a a bit of a weirdo. Speak for yourself. Yeah, no, yeah, I was um, going to say, speak for yourself, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sarcastic with my humour. So hopefully, we have some, uh, some people that enjoy sarcasm too. Yeah, dark humour, sarcasm, and I'm probably in the sarcasm boat as well, and self-deprecation. Do you, you uh, think yeah. you think you're sarcastic? 
No. I don't know. No. I don't know, man. <laughs> definitely not a weirdo. No, definitely not a weirdo. No. I'm pretty, pretty normal. All right, let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so, Alicia, um, you've said that you don't really listen to podcasts. So um, what do you what do you like to listen to or read or that sort of thing? So it's, uh, it's on my list to get more involved in podcasts, to be honest. Um, it's been triggered by the Psych Health and Safety podcast. I might sound a bit biased here, um, but um, legitimately um, I have referred a few people in my networks to the Psych Health and Safety podcast as a um, tool, I suppose it is a resource for, for people to better understand what Psych Health and Safety actually is. Um, you have a lot of um, speakers that are really you're trying to get um, experts in the field um, to enlighten, shed light um, as to what it is and how to do it effectively. So um, it's actually a really great um, resource. Um, I've tend to to date, um, uh, I'm, I'm involved in a community of practice. Um, so some like-minded individuals, again, that are working in this space or trying to create change in this space, we, we meet every month um, across different industries to talk about, you know, what's going on in the space and how to um, further and progress the space and also um, webinars as well. I attend quite a few webinars um, when, when this is the topic of interest. So that's how I keep uh, up to date with things. Cool. Yeah, webinars have been, a, um, I think, one of my more favourite um, things that have sort of come out of this pandemic, um, the, the increase in, in webinars and the sort of availability and um, calibre as well that, that wasn't, um, wasn't around before. So, um, yeah, over here, isolated in Perth, it's given me access to a lot more PD than I probably would have been able to, to do otherwise, um, even without a pandemic happening. So, um, yeah, webinars have been a really good resource. Um, so tell us then about your professional career. So like um, Jason mentioned, um, I'm a clinical psychologist. So I, I was trained as a clinical psych. Um, I did a doctorate in clinical psychology um, many moons ago now um, for the better part of uh, probably involved in, in education for the better part of a decade. So um, that's my background. Um, but even as I was working as a clinical psych, um, my interest moved more and more towards um, workplace mental health. Um, I did work um, in an injury management uh, role. Um, so I was a managing consultant for an occupational rehabilitation provider, more focused on um, early intervention. So again, um, you know, working as a clinical psych, working in injury management, it's, it's very downstream. You know, people, people are already unwell. Um, so hence why my interest moved more and more towards um, upstream work. Um, so workplace mental health is a, um, I suppose, a niche area and looking at ways in which you can actually work with um, a population that's still functioning, um, but trying to um, keep people well um, and, you know, as early as possible intervene so that they don't become, you know, injured um, or unwell. Excellent. So was there a, a particular um, event or point in time when you decided that that was really where you wanted to, to start working? Um, look, I was 
actually finishing my doctorate and um, my research was in an area that wasn't related at all to this. Um, it's, it's quite different to clinical psychology, as you know. Um, but as I progressed and was nearing the completion of my um, thesis, I was already working in um, psychology in private practice um, and also in other clinical roles. So um, I still manage um, a small caseload um, in private practice. So I've always kind of maintained a, a, a private practice role um, in conjunction with doing other roles in the um, workplace mental health, psych health and safety space. Um, and I was seeing um, people coming through with, um, you know, whether it was interpersonal issues in the workplace or work stress-related presentations um, that I was becoming more and more um, interested in, you know, what can we do? How can change be created so that these people don't keep coming through um, in, this, in this space? So I guess it was through... Um, you know, working in private practice, especially having people on work cover come through um, and then trying to shift more towards preventative interventions and preventative type of work. Yep, fantastic. Almost a um, flattening the curve approach to uh, mental health. Yeah, we all know what that is now. So. <laughs> um, all right, so, I mean, you've, you've worked in research, you've worked in external consulting and internal program management. What are the different challenges um, in those roles? Uh-huh. Look, I could talk about this for, um, I don't know how much time you have, um, but um, they're all quite different roles. So working in academia, in industry-based academia, where um, you are running interventions, um, you know, in conjunction with and for um, organisations, to then working as a consultant. So again, you're working for organizations and then working um, internally and running an end-to-end function. Um, Look, they're they're all quite different, but I'll say that the common challenge across all three of those um, has been um, really getting buy-in from uh, key stakeholders um, that are actually... When I say key, I'm meaning the decision makers and the people with authority um, to actually um, not just have initial buy-in, but to continue to show um, engagement and involvement and drive in what's required to effect change. So, um, you know, I've, I've experienced having spoken to whether it's senior leaders or key stakeholders, um, and you talk about what psych health and safety is and you talk about um, how to create um, a workplace where your employees are um, not at risk of or risk is minimised for psychological injury. Um, and it all sounds very good and everyone's really interested and, in, yes, we need to do this, but it's it's then um, it, I think it becomes quite um, complicated in terms of how to achieve that and the how-to is not necessarily that understood um, and it might take a lot of, um, at the end of the day, we're talking about culture change. It's a, it's a change process and it takes a long time. Um, and it's, it's been a challenge and it is challenging to keep that engagement um, ongoing and the commitment ongoing. Yeah, so I guess we talk about um, sort of senior leadership. Um, commitment and that's typically seen as the first step but um, yeah I think what you're talking about there is that they need to 
um, continue to maintain and, and demonstrate that commitment sort of throughout the, the life cycle of the, um, of the onboarding of that, of that project and then sort of through the, the maintenance as well. Yeah, yeah, because it's not, it's not, um, it's not a one-off um, interventional process. It's, um, you know, it's a commitment to a function and understanding what the function is, um, but it's an ongoing process. Just like health and safety within an organisation, it's an ongoing process. So um, psych health and safety is also an ongoing process. Yeah, and that, and that management commitment, if you think about the typical risk management diagram, you know, that's in the centre of that diagram. And, uh-huh. and like you say, it's not like you just present the business case and you get signed off to do psych health and safety once. It requires that ongoing management commitment to be successful. And look, we're going to get some of your tips for um, uh, obtaining buy-in and building a business case uh, a little bit later in, in the podcast today. Uh-huh. Um, but in, in your most recent role, Alicia, um, you're the psychological uh, safety manager at a large university. So in that role, what were your aims for that function and, and uh, psych health and safety? Well, actually, um, the role was um, initially advertised as mental health and wellbeing manager. So that was the role that I applied for. It was a newly created role. Um, What Latrobe did was actually split the um, health and wellbeing function into two, basically. So we have um, uh, health and wellbeing from more of a physical perspective and then um, health and wellbeing from more of a psychological perspective and having... um, different people in those roles um, with subject matter expertise in in those areas. So um, when I started that role, I I went in and um, basically did an assessment of um, where the organisation was at in terms of um, workplace mental health, what they were doing, what they had done to date, um, what the strategy looked like, um, and... Um, you know, that involved um, a desktop review, um, just reviewing all the organisational data that we had to date um, at the time. So that was um, July 2019. And what I really um, took away from that was most of the approaches were still based on that um, at that tertiary level. So obviously being a large organisation, there was an EAP um, in place. Um, But then outside of that, it was um, that, uh, you know, secondary level intervention. Um, so some training provided for staff around understanding what mental health is. So mental health awareness training, um, as well as um, strategies that were focused on individual, um, the individual level, um, stress management, things like that. So um, it wasn't an integrated approach to mental health. Um, there was some evidence of secondary level interventions, um, definitely tertiary level, so your EAP and your ret- uh, return to work if you're injured, um, but the prevention, the um, primary prevention interventions weren't there um, in this context. So different HR functions perhaps were doing different things um, that you could classify as, um, you know, this will help the organisation be um, Uh, a mentally healthy one, diversity and inclusion initiatives, culture initiatives, but it wasn't an integrated approach. And if I found a challenge, going back to your last question, was um, a lot of siloed um, functions. Um, So I suppose that was my feedback back. And about three months later, my role was um, re-titled 
um, to really demonstrate that there needs to be that, that health and safety element um, and what does that look like and moving more towards um, how we can have integrated approaches, work with other um, HR functions and even other stakeholders more collaboratively um, to come up with um, strategic responses that were aligned to psych health and safety and what that means. Yeah. So, yeah, you're able to switch from more of that um, common perception of workplace mental health, which is more around wellbeing or EAP and, you know, make it more of that integrated approach. And I, I know you've worked with Tony Lamontonia before. Um, and so obviously he's, he's the guy who came up with that kind of a model, but it's very similar, obviously, to the public health model, primary, secondary, tertiary prevention. Uh, so it was great that you're able to get the buy-in from the university to, to do that and, and shift the role in, in that manner. Um, but then uh, a little pandemic, I believe, got in the way of what, what some of your plans were for, for that role and, and the strategy. Yeah, definitely. So um, an initial intervention that was designed was um, targeted towards line managers. Um, so uh, especially, you know, the larger an organisation, the more challenging it is um, to do psych health and safety um, effectively because there's more and more variables and factors at play um, you know, with, with a large matrix type of organization, you've got a lot of um, micro environments and micro systems um, and this one size fits all approach won't work. So, um, yeah, so the, so COVID happened and my line manager training that, you know, I guess the challenge with that was um, trying to get that approved in a mandatory way to be, um, delivered across the university to all line managers. Um, that commitment wasn't necessarily there from the outset and that, that's what I was working toward um, and developing and designing a, an, an intervention that was reflective of psych health and safety, um, the psych health and safety framework um, from understanding what psychosocial risks and hazards are to, you know, um, uh, how to be a supportive leader um, and how to actually mitigate um, risks if you identify them. Um, so, so I ran a pilot session um, of an initial program that I created. This was in January 2019. No, sorry, January 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, and I was given a half-day slot um, to develop and deliver something, and that was piloted to uh, mainly HR stakeholders um, I evaluated that program and based on the feedback, which was really positive and received really well, um, I actually then broadened that half day workshop into multiple components and multiple functions um, because um, I'm sure many people can relate. If you just do a one-off training session, um, not necessarily it goes in one ear and out the other, um, but it is limited in terms of um, you know, uh, allowing continued development of what you've learned and um, building skill um, and knowledge in, in that area. So yeah, you really um, want people to go away and practice what they yeah, do and yeah. then come back and reflect on that, you know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and psych health and safety is very broad. Um, so you, it's very difficult to cram everything into a half day or a full day training session, like a lot of um, 
you know, even consultancies would do, um, provide that level of training. Um, so it was broadened out to be offered um, in multiple modules in different um, learning formats from um, having e-learns around mental health awareness training to um, video learning, um, real live action video learning to, to demonstrate concepts um, to having, um, you know, with COVID, it was that that program needed to be redesigned and repositioned for post-pandemic delivery, which originally it was heavy face-to-face -face components. Um, and that wasn't really going to be possible during COVID and post-COVID because our ways of working have changed and a hybrid, hybrid working model is the norm now, I think, um, for a lot of organisations. So how do we actually deliver um, education and training and build um, build capability in um, our leaders outside of just face-to-face -face training? So um, I guess it was good and bad, COVID, um, because... Um, you know, put things on hold from, from a prevention perspective. So this is, um, this type of a program is um, preventative based, um, but then it was good in terms of um, thinking about how to actually deliver these types of initiatives um, for a, um, you know, remote workforce because some industries do have um, rem only remote workforces and some have, um, even at Latrobe, we have um, a regional footprint. So in Victoria, our main campus is in um, a suburb of Melbourne, but we've got a lot of campuses, um, you know, in the regions, um, two, three hours drive away and face-to-face -face training isn't really feasible. So um, it, it actually made um, us stop and think, okay, well, how do we deliver this, this type of stuff, um, you know, for hybrid working models as well? Yeah, I'm glad you've done a lot of that thinking for us already, Alicia, with, uh, in the role, because, you know, a number of our clients, obviously, are large multinationals. They're across not just different campuses, but across different, um, you yeah, know, sites. countries. Yeah, yeah, So, definitely. you know, really have to think about those kind of hybrid learning models as well to suit the hybrid working environment and the mm -hmm. different locations that people are in and, and whatnot. Um, so... Uh, obviously, COVID had a big impact on the planned rollout of, of the line manager training. So uh, were you able to still do something over the last uh, year that kind of helped progress the university to the taking more of a psych health and safety approach to workplace mental health? Yeah, for sure. So um, that's just one example of an initiative that falls under the umbrella of psych health and safety and how to achieve um, psych health and safety. Um, like I said before, it's not just one initiative um, that you roll out and then, you know, Bob's your uncle, there you have it. Um, it's all problem solved. Um, you need to be doing multiple things um, at the same time to achieve um, psych health and safety because, um, you know, if you're aware of the, the framework, there's multiple, at least 13, according to the Canadian standard, there's multiple factors that um, are psychological risks or hazards. And if they're not managed, um, then your workforce becomes at risk. So, um, you know, one initiative might tap into three different hazards or work-related factors, but not the rest. So you have to be doing more than one thing anyway. Look, COVID, COVID through the higher education sector um, into a tailspin, especially because, mm. um, you know, 
a lot of universities rely on international students um, and the money that they bring to, um, you know, three enrollments. Um, and universities now function as um, really as organisations themselves. You know, you've got your um, vice chancellor, who's the equivalent of the CEO, and they have to run like a business. Um, they get some government funding, but, um, you know, over the years, that's really changed and mirroring more the American model of tertiary education. So, um, unfortunately, with the um, cessation of international students coming in with border closures due to COVID, um, Latrobe, like many other universities, I'm sure, um, had to um, think about how to save money and recoup money um, and, you know, this is large scale I'm talking about. So, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars lost over not just 2020, but beyond. Um, so we did go into a reactive phase. Um, unfortunately, um, from about May, June last year, um, and there was, you know, a lot of change happening and also change on the cards um, because unfortunately it meant that the university had to downsize or um, look look different um, as a result of the pandemic um, in the short term. So um, I was involved in um, some change management responses, um, especially around um, a couple of rounds of voluntary redundancies and how to support one staff that were leaving the university to the managers managing those staff that are leaving the university and three, um, the teams that, you know, were left behind and what that would mean. So um, I guess the, the agenda um, had to shift mm. um, in terms of more reactive or short-term um, supports. But it's, again, it's at that systems level, not at the individual level. Um, and um, towards the end of last year, um, I'm not sure if, if people are aware, but um, Latrobe was um, a recipient of Flourish CX, the, the platform. Um, so it was my intention to actually roll out the, there's a uh, work design survey, a survey that assesses the psychological risk factors hazards um, based on ISO 45003 and, the, and that's the, the, the Canadian model. Um, so, so we actually were able to run that survey and it was, thanks to you, Jason, customised quite a bit um, for our needs. Um, and we rolled out that survey early this year. Um, so we were able to um, get a picture of, at that time, um, what the risk profile looked like in terms of um, psychological risk. Um, and then... Um, some follow-on actions around that. So we had data that would drive strategic actions rather than, you know, just come up with for this year, we need to do X or we need to do Y. Well, um, it was more, it's more around, well, staff, this is what staff are saying. Um, so we need to respond to that. So um, can you talk us through um, the, I guess the importance of doing the follow-up workshops with, with staff when you've collected that data? Because a lot of the time we see organisations who, you know, they get those results and they all get their um, their management team or HR or whoever to, to look at it and sort of work out what the actions should be. 
um, mm-hmm. without further discussion with staff to help them interpret those results. So can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, sure. So um, the survey itself um, gives a snapshot according to those uh, workplace factors that can be deemed as um, psychological hazards or things that the organisation is doing well. Um, However, it doesn't necessarily give context. Um, You know, you can answer a survey and rate um, items on a scale Um, but you're not necessarily getting the context of that particular organisation. So Latrobe um, and even universities, um, you know, they have very different staff cohorts within them. We have, there's academic staff, there's professional staff, there's administrative staff and the um, challenges for each of those staff and how their work is managed and the processes for each of those staff cohorts differ. It's not all the same for everybody so you know we're giving the same survey to everybody but that that context is missing so um, it was the um, original plan to conduct um, Joelle I think you mentioned workshops so we conducted listening sessions so um, essentially um, like focus groups um, semi-structured focus groups um, based on staff cohort so we had um, we actually ran 15 in the month of May after the survey was rolled out earlier in the year and after some of the data was kind of collated and reviewed at that higher level, um, we ran those listening sessions by staff cohort um, and according to certain staff demographics. So, for example, academic staff in Melbourne versus academic staff in the regions, professional staff, uh, manager only uh, um, manager only at um, Melbourne and then um, you know senior management um, a separate group for them so we could um, basically assess based on some general um, questions what was going on for each of those groups and have what their perceptions were of the survey results at the high level um, and we conducted those sessions with a solution focused approach so generally getting some feedback on, you know, according to your staff grouping, what's happening that's um, working well, that we should continue, but then what's also happening that's not working well or that maybe um, needs to stop because it's having negative effects on staff or on teams. Um, And then some more um, general ideas around how to foster or create um, a psychologically healthy and safe workplace. So more at that macro level. Fantastic. Um, So without breaking any um, confidentiality um, or privacy um, requirements, um, did you get any requests for resilience training or or mindfulness apps out of those those workshops? No, no, there wasn't anything at all. (laughs) Anything at all mentioned at that individual level. So not that I wasn't expecting that. Um, Given the nature of the survey, um, you know, asked questions around work factors, um, not on individual level factors. Um, so a lot of the themes that came out were really um, reflective of work design, um, how workloads are managed, the systems around um, workloads. So for example, um, 
academic staff, their workloads are managed very differently to professional staff because there's actually a system that projects your workload according, there's some algorithms in there. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of the feedback has been, well, that's the, that's the system, but it doesn't necessarily reflect what happens on the ground. And, and um, the fact that um, staff generally work excessive hours, um, you know, more often than not. So some, some issues were raised around, um, you know, what's, what's specific to staff groups in terms of, um, you know, systems that need to be reviewed or um, communication um, that maybe isn't happening, that could be happening um, from top down, for example. Um, look, some, some areas or some divisions, departments will have more positive factors, will we'll be, we'll be voicing, you know, this is happening really well in our area, whereas in other areas that's not happening and that might be around um, how managers are managing um, from a people perspective. So it was good in terms of, um, you know, giving some information on, you know, at that, at that team or organizational level, what needs to maybe really be looked at and improved and given um, the resources and the time for that to happen. And then what can we actually learn from maybe some areas that are doing things better than others? Yep, that's great. I like that um, sort of learning from from other groups that are doing it well. Yep. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. It's that typical safety thing, right? Work is imagined versus work is done. Uh, and we think about that in terms of physical um, tasks in the workplace and, and the way that, you know, um, we engineer systems of work. But often we don't think about that when it comes to workload. And when you've got these algorithms that are supposed to determine what the workload is going to be that don't actually measure up with the reality, mm -hmm. the only way you can really find that out is actually, work, you know, walking and talking to people <laughs> and mm -hmm. actually seeing how it is actually done uh, to understand yeah. the, the risk. Yeah. Yeah. No, really interesting stuff. Um, so we've, we've known each other for a couple of years now, uh, Alicia, and, and you clearly know your stuff when it comes to psych health and safety. So moving into a, a slightly different gear now, wh why did you choose to, to uh, come work with Joelle and myself here at, at People Diagnostics? Because you bribed me, Jason. No, I'm joking. I'm <laughs> well, there is, there is some remuneration, so you're not, you're not far off. I don't, well, I don't think contingent reward classifies as a bribe. So oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, Joel. Good point. Um, so, so Jason and I actually met, um, if anyone's interested in the, in the backstory, um, through a conference um, back in 2019. Um, so the Workplace Mental Health Symposium, which um, that was its first year running and now it's run every year. Um, so I saw Jason present on Flourish DX at the time, and then I reached out to um, Jason thereafter um, to find out a bit more um, to potentially use the tool, um, you know, at, um, within my role, within my function um, at the organisation I was working at at the time. Um, and really the, the tool itself and, and how it was spoken about and presented, it really... Um, highlighted to me, um, you know, there's a real need for something like this in the market. I hadn't heard of any or seen any other um, tool that had this integrated approach to psychological health and safety. So what it isn't is a wellbeing uh, tool or a wellbeing app. Um, and that's not what I was looking for anyway, because there's, um, 
there's probably a zillion now, uh, mm. well-being apps that you can get through the app store or whatever um, device you use. But I was really looking for something that would help me in my role um, that we could use to, um, you know, create psychological health and safety in the workplace. So, um, you know, I needed something that provided training for everybody, had training for line managers, um, and this would be used as a as a as part of that um, line manager training that I was talking about. That was getting um, built out to be um, multiple component based and um, multimedia based. Um, that um, had functions within it that serve the purpose of the organization and from a OHNS um, function as well. So um, look, the, the framework that's used or that's um, um, embodied within Flourish DX um, and you and I, Jason, have spoken at length about psych health and safety. And um, I think your vision and I know Joelle's kind of come on board earlier this year and my vision for workplace mental health is the same. So we all speak the same language and um, yeah, it's, it's exciting to be working with and alongside people that have that same vision. Yeah, no, we are, we are very, very glad to have a, another similarly minded person, but obviously with a slightly different worldview as well, coming from a clean psych perspective than an org psych. So we really think that you'll um, provide a bit of diversity uh, to, to the team in thought, hopefully at least. So um, we've spoken a little bit, Alicia, obviously before you came on board about what are some of the key projects that we'd love you to, to uh, provide assistance on? What, what are some of those key projects that you're looking to sink your teeth into? Uh, so definitely um, through our earlier conversations um, and, um, you know, what I've been talking about already is this um, building skill and competency in line managers to be able to, um, you know, uh, understand what psych, and, psych health and safety is and how they can, um, I suppose, do it or manage it. Um, within the realm of their role. Um, so there's obviously different levels. There's, you know, organizational level um, overall, but then there's, you know, you've got your senior leaders, you've got your middle management line managers, and then you've got the individual. So at each level, um, there is, um, there are things that can be done at all of those levels. And line managers have a, have a, in my opinion, a critical role to play in um, psych health and safety. So it's yeah, definitely developing um, knowledge, skill, and competency for line managers um, through through this type of a medium where it doesn't have to be face to face. Um, and two, really supporting um, organisations in understanding this and implementing. Um, the, the, the framework or the system effectively um, and what does that look like um, and I suppose partnering with these um, organizations um, as a subject matter expert to support that process. Yeah uh, I don't think we mentioned before so your official title is going to be head of customer success um, so that's really about like you say walking the journey with clients to make sure that they are getting the most out of the platform and, and implementing their framework into their safety management system effectively. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. um, and what you've spoken about is really what we see as a, our overarching playbook as we're calling it internally. 
Um, so we really want to have a company who decides, yes, we need to move from wellbeing to risk management um, or mature to that level, if you like. H how do we do that if we've got 50,000 people across, you know, uh, 10 different countries? Mm -hmm. And it's really our, um, our vision for Flourish DX to be able to guide a lot of that through everything that a company would need from features built into the platform to these competency building training programs um, that obviously mm -hmm. you're referring to as well. So. Yeah, um, we've got a lot of the, the tools, as you say, already built in, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, yeah, plenty more that we can, we can add over time, uh, uh -huh. but definitely, um, yeah, along with myself and Joel, really happy that you will also be starting to support some of our clients as they, you know, take, take this view around workplace mental health and try and incorporate this psych health and safety framework. So that'll be good fun. Uh -huh. Um, so let's talk a bit more about the the importance of line managers and and um, and their role for so for our listeners what what is the role for line managers in in psych health and safety? Mm -hmm. So line managers, you know, in part they represent the employer's responsibility and duty of care in creating and maintaining a psychologically healthy and safe workplace. So your line managers. Um, uh, are key in that um, you know if if line managers aren't aware of what psychological hazards are um, and one psychological hazard is um, you know ineffective communication um, from manager to employee lack of role clarity that again comes from manager to employee so there's already um, two psych hazards I've just mentioned that are um, stemming from um, your, the line manager. So it's, it's really about um, line managers understanding um, how they themselves um, play a role in um, contributing to or protecting from um, harm for, for, their, for their staff. So there's plenty of things line managers um, can do to um, create um, positive outcomes for staff, including their mental health and well-being. So if, if line managers understand this, they understand what these psych hazards are, the role they play in um, contributing to them, identifying them and mitigating any risks, um, you'll see a massive shift in um, how, how healthy and safe your workplace is from a psych perspective. And what would you say are the, the competencies that are necessary for line managers to be able to do this? So um, it would definitely be, number one, understanding what the work-related factors are that are um, psychologically um, or that are psychological hazards. Um, so if you don't know what they are, then it's very hard to um, be competent in achieving your role as a line manager in um, making sure you're creating a psychologically, psychologically healthy and safe environment. So, so that's number one, that's key. Um, just it's, it's a big education piece around psych health and safety, what it is and what are the, what are the hazards. Um, two would be how do you as a line manager, I think, identify within the scope of your role how do you identify what they are day to day um, at your at the level of your team um, and if you do identify what they are and know what they are um, and you see yourself any red flags um, how do you mitigate that risk 
Um, so part of it is through um, understanding what the risks are, observing in your workplace, um, if any are playing out, and also being able to create a space to, um, you know, have conversations with your staff and actually ask them, ask them about now that you know what psych hazards are, ask them about what's happening um, in the team or in the workplace um, around those psych factors um, so that you can get information directly from your staff um, and then plan how you're going to address some of these things if they're, if they're coming out as um, risks. So, um, yeah, I think that they're the, they're the main competencies um, and really... Um, you know, it's this, it's this development of line managers to um, create skill in that area. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like some of that is sort of um, some particular subject matter knowledge that they need, and then there's some skill development <laughs> in there as well. So um, how do you go about building that, that? So that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's always the how to is the hardest. And once you know what to do, then it's the how to. Um, but I think it's, it's definitely, um, from the organization's perspective, it's being clear with line managers. This is your actual, um, responsibility as a line manager. So it's role clarity actually for the line managers coming from the organization around, um, you know, this is, this is a requirement of your role from a people management or a people leadership perspective. Um, and, you know, I've, I've actually um, read some research or some commentary from, um, you know, other experts in the area that there should be um, KPIs, key performance indicators around this for line managers um, to keep them accountable um, and for the organisation to be accountable to provide, um, you know, development for line managers in this area so that um, it's kind of uniform across the board. So if you know what your if you know what your expectations are from your employer, from your organization um, around, um, you know, people call it well-being, but it's really around psych health and safety, um, then, you know, you'll be better um, equipped to make sure that you're keeping on top of what you need to do um, to identify and mitigate risks if they're there. And I imagine there's an element of um, sort of knowing when you need to go and ask for, for support from other functions in the organisation as well, isn't there? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, I think another key, uh, you know, this is, this is very resource intensive um, for a lot of organisations to do, but I think it's really important to have um, feedback provided to line managers um, from their staff as well. So typically this would look um, like a... Um, you know, some sort of feedback process, so a 360 feedback. So whether that's once a year or whatever, whatever time period you choose, that managers can also get feedback from those that they work with in terms of how they are managing employee wellbeing or psych health and safety. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, um, yeah, if you're a manager and you're getting feedback from your manager, um, that's not going to be reflective of um, necessarily your team's experience of what it's like to work for you so yeah it's definitely right. important to get that um that view from from the people who experience you every day what are you saying, Joel? 
Nothing, Jason. I just happened to glance in your direction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Alicia, um, we're um, in the process of um, releasing a new e-learning program, um, which is going to be about sort of helping people build a business case um, to get senior leader buy-in for psych health and safety sort of at that top management level. So you've had to do this yourself as, um, as a consultant sort of internally and, um, and externally. What are the key things that top management need to know? I think that number one is understanding um, that they actually have a responsibility um, from a, you know, workplace, health and safety, WHS um, perspective, you know, it's, it's a legal requirement um, for organisations to um, ensure that staff are not, um, you know, um, working in a workplace where they're put in harm's way from a psych perspective. So, um, you know, it's, it's exactly the same as um, physical health and safety, um, you you know, your, your employer has a responsibility to make sure that you're not at risk of a fatality or a serious injury. And it's the same thing for, for mental health. So um, it's more complex for um, mental health because there's so many different factors um, that are, um, I suppose, these psych hazards. Um, there's so many different factors and, and there could be, um, specific factors depending on the industry that you work in. So em- emergency services have different um, psych hazards and factors to, um, you know, financial services because emergency service staff go out and, um, you know, they're subject to um, potential traumatic or critical incidents um, every day, whereas financial services staff are, you know, their their office bound um desk bound primarily um but sure they've got similar um psych hazards that they need to that that, that they're um subject to but then they've also got whatever context you work in you need to be aware of those so it's it's creating an understanding um you know whatever your industry is um these are your psych hazards um these are universal ones but then these are yours um and that you have a responsibility um not just a legal one, but it's better for business, it's better for you and it's better for your staff if you um, are ensuring that these factors are addressed, that they're measured, assessed, um, and any risks that come out of these um, assessments um, are mitigated because the, the lower the risk, the more, the more productive your staff will be, the happier your staff will be, um, we all know that um, good or optimal mental health is associated with high le- higher levels of productivity. People are more engaged. Um, so it's actually better for everybody um, if, um, you know, psych health and safety is um, incorporated into an organisation. And so um, once we've actually got top management to say, yes, we understand and we want to do it, what does that commitment actually look like um, in action? So it's not it's not just them saying, nodding their heads and saying, yep, let's do it. What sounds else do like they... A, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah that'd be swell. <laughs> um, yeah. What else do they need to do then to to, um, gen- or to, sh- to show that commitment and to, to give the support? 
Yeah. So, so usually if you, you know, if you um, propose that business case, usually you do get the, oh, yes, that sounds great. Yes, we need to do this. Um, but it's that what I was saying earlier, it's that after the initial buy-in, there needs to be a commitment to, um, you know, providing budget, providing resources, people resources to carry out this work, um, um, providing time, e.g. you also need to be at that top level driving the change. So checking in to see how's it going, what's required, not just leaving the function or the area just to run itself because it is an integrated approach. You need to work. It's very central to an organisation. So you need to be working across other um, or in collaboration with other areas. There needs to be policies around this and those authority, I don't want to call them authoritarians, but those, those people that hold authority and the, the decision makers, um, they need to keep showing that commitment and communicating um, to staff in various ways that there is a commitment and this is what it actually looks like. Yeah, excellent. Excellent points. Top leaders who are listening, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess even, um, you know, if you were to set up a, a psych health and safety committee or just your general health and safety committee or wellbeing committee, uh, if obviously a senior leader was to sit on that, and you know, provide that support, be able to see firsthand where the resources are required and then be able to go back up to you know, the leadership team and uh, be able to speak on the behalf of the, the, the operational team who's trying to get things done yeah. for, the, for the function, as you say. Yeah, um, definitely. You, you, you know, it's, it's all well and good having a working group or, or a committee, and I was on one, but the, whoever the person is, is that is the conduit between that group and then the higher up, or the highest up um, needs to um, be very engaged and have that buy-in to then keep driving it. Um, because you know, when you work in a very large organization, there's an, or there's a lot of hierarchies. Um, you need to be, I suppose, um, penetrating through them. Um, and depending on where you sit, you've got to get to the top and um, or have or have the the key stakeholders within those levels committed. Yeah. And again, uh, we have to emphasize, right, this is about continuous improvement. Um, you know, we don't just set up a committee, go through a process once, and then we're the most mentally healthy organization ever. Um, so you're going to need to continue to get that engagement from that, that top management. And hopefully whoever is that conduit, as you say, that, that connection between the working group and the, the top level uh, mm -hmm. leadership, then, you know, hopefully they can remain engaged or at least have one person there who's engaged for you uh, in that regard. Yeah, definitely. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, and what we said about line managers and their importance, um, it is um, you know, whether it's um, the health and safety team or another HR team or business partners or however your um, organisation is structured, um, the business, the line managers need continuous partnering and advice in terms of how to, um, you know, ensure that um their areas are psychologically healthy and safe. It's not just a one-off, like I said earlier, it's not just a one-off thing. You have to keep checking in and um, ultimately you'll have um, data-driven actions through a survey or whatever it is, or having conversations with your area. Um, 
you need input from staff to then, you know, that, that's your assessment. Um, on these factors, you need to come up with these data-driven strategic actions. Um, you need to implement them. So you need to have an action plan. What does that look like? And then you need to keep reviewing it because, you know, um, workplaces change. The factors within workplaces change, just like mental health is not, um, you know, um, static, it's dynamic. Um, so you have to keep um, um, that lens on it, that it is, like you say, continuous improvement or it is a continuous process. Yeah. I think there was a technology platform that could help companies with this. So we'll have to. That'd, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Hey, um, one thing that I'm really excited to announce on this podcast, Alicia, is that you and I are going to be hosting a new element of the Psych Health and Safety podcast, which we're calling Flourish DX Live. Now, this isn't the first time you've heard about heard about this. What What are your thoughts? So, um, no, it's not the first time I've heard about it. It's very exciting. You know what, um, what you've gotten yourself into? <laughs> um, I did hear about it very recently, though. So I'm just, you know, I've had a little bit of time to process. Um, so um, I, I I think I know what I've gotten myself into, but it's it's going to be it's going to be. I'll let you talk about it a bit more, but it's going to be um, a platform that will provide users or potential users of Flourish DX um, with the space to learn, learn more about the process and the functions of, um, you know, the functions that it contains. Um, and it's interactive, so it'll provide people with a chance to ask questions and we can answer them. Um, but I'll let you speak a bit more about um, the overall purpose and how it will look. And I appreciate you saying yes when I asked you if you'd be willing to do this. I remember Joe, Joel being a bit tentative when uh, I said, hey, what do you think about doing a podcast with me? But look at no, her. She's, a, she's a pro think, now. I don't think that's quite how you worded it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of the role is you're going to be co-hosting. Yeah, podcast. I've, I've uh, signed the contract. I've set, <laughs> submitted my notice at work and then it's like, hey, we're going to do a podcast and you're going to be my co-host. Yeah, but there was role clarity, right? I gave you a good heads up before you started. Yeah, except for the part where it was going to be on camera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, anyway, that was a shock for me rocking up and I was just glad that when I was um, getting getting myself dressed that morning and thinking, oh, it's just going to be audio. Do I need makeup? I'll put a little bit on. Like, yeah, only, only a man would think not to give you a warning that it's going to be. Yeah, uh, recorded. I am learning slowly. I am learning slowly. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, um, yeah, the Flourish DX Live, uh, as the regular listeners of the podcast will know, we, we really don't talk about Flourish DX on the podcast. We really like to just share uh, best practice from the best experts in the world on, on the podcast and distribute that information without giving a sell. Uh, Flourish DX Live isn't designed to be a sell so much, but it still allows us a little bit of, of leeway to talk a bit about our product and some of the things that we're doing to deal with some of the problems that Alicia has alluded to, um, where, where companies need a lot of support, where we feel we can, we can help. But it's really come on the back of these live panels that we've been running. Uh, we're really amazed back in May when we um, did our first live panel with Wade Needham uh, moderating um, to have over a thousand people register for that. Uh, and to, you know, see within the YouTube uh, where uh, the section where uh, in the comment section, how many people were interacting and, and, you know, the second one that we ran just recently with Peter Kelly and Marianne Bainton uh, was even better with almost 1500 people registered and, you know, it's had over a thousand views in the first week. So we're thinking, well, 
there's obviously a, a real community around psych health and safety that we've been able to build through the podcast. How do we continue to build that and to give them the information that they need and make it really practical and applicable? Because I think that's the piece that's missing. I mean, the, the podcast is designed to be practical, but sometimes it is hard to pull away the, the practical. What am I going to do with this information now in my unique context, my business? And we want to be able to do more of that. But rather than you know, you and me or Joel will also be taking some turns at co-hosting with me on Flourish DX Live rather than us just talking between ourselves the whole time. You know, we might talk for 20 to 30 minutes, but then we'll be spending the next 30 minutes um, inviting questions from the audience. Uh, and so that way, hopefully, um, between the three of us, we're able to give that subject matter expertise to people who are really trying to make a, a difference um, and implement a psych health and safety framework in their uh, organization. And that's regardless of whether they ever intend on purchasing Flourish DX or not. So uh, we hope to continue to service the community. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited about that. We'll see how they go. We might pull the pin if they're, they're not successful. So if you're a regular listener of the podcast and you want to hear us do a live show <laughs> regularly, then then make sure you tune in and, and support support that segment. But uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to that. That will start in August following our next live panel, um, which is the 4th of August. So it will be uh, hopefully the week or, or the second week after that live panel. So look out for that. Yes, exciting times. There's mm. always there was always exciting times ahead for us. Yeah, there's always yeah. always new things happening. We don't like to stay static. No, no, all kinds of new ideas popping up all the time. It's always interesting here, Alicia. Um, <laughs> so the the final question that we like to ask all of our guests is, what are your ho hopes for the future of workplace mental health? Um, um, I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this, um, but definitely. It's a shift from individual well-being initiatives to and approaches to um, organizational level or systems approaches. So, you know, my my pet peeve is providing, um, you know, just well-being focused um, initiatives, whether it's, you know, um, um, like I said earlier, um, training, um, how to make yourself cope better or feel better, those types of things or, or well-being apps, you know, things that are directed towards you yourself to make yourself feel better or um, cope better. Um, when it comes to workplace mental health, there are so many factors that can affect your mental health and well-being that you don't have control over from an individual perspective, but things can be um, addressed um, these workplace factors and hazards, they can be addressed by the organisation um, and that will actually lead to positive mental health outcomes for staff, not necessarily, you know, you go away and you do this for yourself. So um, that has its place, definitely, um, but it shouldn't be the focus um, and it still unfortunately is a focus um, for many organisations. Um, and... I, th I think that's the main one, but but also that psych health and safety, the the term becomes more widely understood in, you know, what it means for an organization um, as a function. Um, and it's it's really that risk management approach. Um, and and that's really required from a prevention perspective. Fantastic. Yeah, I think um, we've definitely reached um, saturation on those two themes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll continue we'll to bang continue. the drum. We, yeah. Will. Yeah. we will continue yeah. to beat people over the head with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it is. It's the, it's the main feat. And if, if people 
start to understand that it's the next challenge is, is this how to. So hopefully, yes, like you said, Jason, the, the Flourish DX live podcast that will service um, users, potential users of Flourish DX or just the general community, the, the working community. Um, you know, it's, it's this how to given the context of your organization. Um, you know, what I always get asked, you know, what do we do? What do we do about this? Um, it's, it's just that how to is missing a lot of the time because it is such a um, complex area. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's really, you know, our goal, obviously, to un- uncomplicate the, the complicated mm-hmm. um, and to just make it part of normal business, right? Like, how do you do that as quickly as possible for an organization who's made that decision they want to do it? So, yeah, no, Alicia, we are so pumped to have you on board. Um, uh, if anything, this podcast will demonstrate to our listeners that you, you know your stuff um, and, you know, they'll be able to reach out to you um, for support and assistance, hopefully. Uh, as they start to learn more about psych health and safety and hopefully they'll be tuning in live and, and listening to us and asking us questions that we can answer uh, over the, the live version of the podcast. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so thank you so much for uh, turning up early, Alicia, to work, to, uh, to record this <laughs> before you start. This will actually be released on the day that you start, which is the 20th of July. Don't worry, uh, Jason, I'll be taking back a couple of hours. Uh, <laughs> we practice, you know, we practice all... flexible working arrangements. So <laughs> That's I'm happy it. With <laughs> no, you're very welcome to. Um, but look, that brings us to the end of this episode. You'll be hearing lots more from Alicia, no doubt, um, over the coming weeks. And uh, I'm hoping that you will get a lot of value out of that. But um, so that, br- that brings us to the end. So don't forget, we do video these sessions um, and you can see that on the Flourish DX YouTube page if you'd prefer to see that rather than just listen to it as a podcast. Uh, if you prefer to watch just short clips from these podcasts, we also put little two to four minute nuggets of gold on the Flourish DX LinkedIn page. So please do check that out. Uh, also, if you want to continue the conversation, um, Joelle, myself, and we're going to make Alicia do this too. She's going to be very active on LinkedIn. Very. <laughs> so feel free to either Thanks, follow guys. us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, that's a heads up, Alicia. So, um, yeah, so please do reach out to us, follow us. And, uh, yeah, we're very happy to continue the conversation uh, online on LinkedIn as well. So that brings us to the end. Thanks again, listeners, and we'll catch you next episode. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.